Mr. Prime Minister, Mr. Chairman, Governors, Honoured Guests, it's a pleasure to welcome you at this meeting on the behalf of the International Monetary Fund. And I'm particularly happy to see in the audience a former Managing Director of the Fund, Mr. Deorato, and the former President of the World Bank, Jim Wolfenson, as well as Yusef Butuzgali, the Chairman of the IMFC, and Augustin Carsten, the Chairman of the Development Committee. It's a pleasure to meet in this magnificent city of Istanbul, a city with great history and culture, a city bridging the East and the West. I would like to thank my friend Bob Zelik for its outstanding stewardship of our sister organization, to thank also the Turkish authorities, our hosts, for their hospitality and masterful organization. I'd like also to thank Chairman Nguyen Van Zau and all of you, our governors, for your constant support over the past year. But before I start, I want to express my deepest sympathy to the family of five international civil servants killed today in a bombing, in a suicide bombing in Islamabad. This morning, I'd like to invite you to consider how far we have come. A year ago, as we all know, when we met, the fall of Lehman Brothers just occurred. The economic activity started going into free fall. People feared another Great Depression. But today, the world is in a different place. Fear has turned to hope. We seem to have pulled back from the brink. Even if, as we all know, it's much too early to declare victory, we have at least stepped onto the road of recovery. The past year has been a year of profound change. Countries came together to face, maybe for the first time, common challenges with common solutions, focusing on the global uh, common good. And now we stand at a defining moment. We know from history that when countries come together to address common challenges in a spirit of solidarity, we can attain a virtuous circle of peace and prosperity. But we need to meet the challenges ahead. We need to adapt and change at the international level, at the country level, and at the IMF too. This is this theme of change that I want to discuss with you today. Let me begin with the global economy. Obviously, we have turned the corner. The projection we have in the IMF that you all know is that global growth for 2010 will be around 3%. It is not that big, but it is a good beginning. The contrast 
was a year ago is stark. But looking ahead, the post-crisis world will be and must be very different from the one we had before the crisis, and that's why we need to adapt to that reality. Recovery will be sluggish. Private demand is not yet self-sustaining. Consumption is still tentative. Even as growth recovers, it will take some time for jobs to follow. Unemployment will continue rising in most countries through 2010. So in no way we can say that the crisis is over, that the crisis is behind us. The stakes are particularly high in low-income countries. Uh, following the figures given by our friend from the World Bank, 90 million people are about to be perched in extreme poverty because of the crisis. What we're talking about is not only higher unemployment or lower purchasing power. In the low-income countries, it's about life and death. We could see in those countries social unrest, political instability, or even war. So the global economy remains in a precarious position. For sure, policymakers need to design exit strategy. But as we, I think, all know today, and I was very pleased to see that almost everybody agreed on this, it's too early to implement this exit strategy. The risk today is that uh, optimism will lead to complacency. We still need big efforts to fix the financial sector, and they cannot slow down. We still need to repair the bank balance sheets. We also need to make for the future the financial sector safer and more stable. That means widening the regulatory perimeter. That means boosting capital and paying more attention to systemically important institutions. But if we look beyond the crisis, then we all know that we will need to rebalance global growth. The old growth model, which lasts for decades, is a model with the U.S. consumer supporting global growth and with a lot of deficit in the United States, a lot of surpluses in other countries, the so-called global imbalances. What we will find, and we need to build after the crisis, is a new growth model with more savings in deficit countries, more consumption in surplus countries, less imbalances. The transition will not be easy, and that's exactly what we have to shape for the future. But let's consider that the economic turnaround was no accident. It comes from an unprecedented, unparalleled degree of economic policy collaboration. When our grandchildren will look backward, it is cooperation that will stand out. We saw it in monetary policy, 
with central bank coordinating interest curves and swap lines. We throw this in fiscal policy with the 2% global demand stimulus that the IMF has asked for. And we estimate today in the IMF that one-third, one-third of the gain of the stimulus comes from this coordination. We are now in a global world. There is no domestic solution. And that may be the biggest change of the last year, the ascent of the G20. As you know, it met the last time, this body met the last time in Pittsburgh a few days ago. And the most significant feature of this meeting is probably that the G20 leaders decided to go on working together. It was rather easy to have a broad consensus in April when people were scared about the global economy. As the recovery appears, it was possible that everybody will go back home to deal with his own political concern. It's not so. The leaders decided that the global economy needs leadership and that they will going, working to get, going on working together. We, in the IMS, must build on this momentum. Obviously, the G20 is better than the G7. The G7 failed because it represented only the rich countries, and we need absolutely to have on board the emerging countries. But there are still many countries out, especially in Africa. You are here, 186 countries, including the low-income countries, home to billions who still live in poverty. Their voice, too, must be heard. They, too, deserve a stake in the global economy. We certainly need cooperation, but we need cooperation among all the countries of the world. And the IMF's unique mandate gives it a special role in helping to promote this cooperation. I said before that we need to change. So how have we changed over the past year? I think that we have built on our past successes and learn from our past mistakes. At the same time, we have sought to go back to the mandate bequest to us by our founding fathers, a mandate of global economic and financial stability, and with it, a mandate of peace and prosperity. Let me give you some examples. We stepped up emergency financing dramatically with commitments amounting today to over twice as much as during the Asian crisis. We have at the same time doubled the access limit for all borrowers. We injected $283 billion of extra liquidity in SDR. We scaled up concessional lending with 17 billions from now to 2014, 8 billions for the coming two years at zero interest rate, which never happened in the past. We introduced the flexible credit line for countries with a proven track record. We streamlined conditionality 
focusing on what is important for the country and limiting ourselves on fixing the problem, the problem at the right moment that the country is facing. We accommodated higher budget deficits and we focused on the most vulnerable, which are always the one hard hit by programs which try to keep the country back on tracks. We have come a long way, but the journey is not over. Sunday, two days ago, at the IMFC meeting, we have been asked to address four key areas of reform. Our mandate, our financing role, the multilateral surveillance, and governance. Let me call this, in honor of our Prime Minister, the Istanbul decisions. First, the mandate. This crisis, obviously, has little to do with current account crisis and currency problem, which were the traditional work of the IMF. We need a broader mandate to encompass a whole range of economic and financial sector policies that affect stability. Second, our financing role. We have to build on the success of the FCL, the Flexible Credit Line, to provide insurance to more countries. In many emerging market economies, excessive reserves have been accumulated, and this fosters global imbalances. The IMFCs, the IMFC has asked us to assess whether enhancing our financing tools may help address this problem. That's a big role for the IMF, but it's not a new role. The founders 65 years ago saw this role of lender of last resort for the IMF. Third, the IMFC agreed on the idea that the IMF will help the G20 in this new kind of multilateral assessment of policies, emphasizing on macroeconomic linkages and microfinancial linkages and on cross-country spillover. And fourth, last but not least, the IMFC supported a big step forward in governance with the shift of 5% in quota toward dynamic emerging markets economies and developing economies, countries coming from over-represented countries to under-represented this will enhance our legitimacy, but not only our legitimacy, because it's my belief that IMF program, IMF support cannot be effective if we don't have enough ownership by the country we're working with. And to have this ownership by the country, we need a more legitimate institution. So what we're doing in terms of governance is not only fair, it is the, re the very existence of the institution which is at stake, and that's why the step decided in Pittsburgh is so important. Let me conclude in a few words. Last year has been a year of dramatic change in the global economy, in the global governance, and in the IMF. The lessons of history are clear. Eighty years ago, turning onwards, made the Great Depression worse. Today, 
working together, save the world from a deeper crisis. Governors, you represent our 186 member countries. You know that you will need to change and adapt to the post-crisis world. We, in the IMF, we know that we must do the same. But remember, this is your institution. We are here to respond to your needs. I'm honored to lead this institution which has accomplished so much over the last year. And I'm profoundly grateful to the staff and the executive board for their professionalism, their dedication, and their hard work. The endeavor we have embarked upon is about peace and stability, as rightly Prime Minister Erdogan mentioned earlier. It's about the welfare and the security of the seven billion people who share this planet. As Keynes said at the founding of the IMF, his hope was that, I quote, the brotherhood of man will have become more than a phrase. The brotherhood of man will have become more than a phrase. Governors, we have the historic opportunity to reshape our post-crisis world and make this phrase a reality. Thank you. Uh, thank you.